love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. Don't you just love a good love story? Love is like that. It's the light that is part of your life. It's unconditional. There's something there for all of us. There's hope that we can get through this and find some joy in our lives. He's always been the one. Self-love is a love story too. Those little sparks of joy are really important. Imagine someone making your biggest dream come true. It's important for people to understand that you're not alone. We love to be part of a Canadian love story. The love story never ends. Well, love is the most important thing. I really do feel like we are put on this planet as twins because I genuinely feel like we raised each other since then. I don't know if I would be where I am today without her, you know, going through that and working through that at such a young age. Just so grateful that we had each other. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. This week's love story belongs to Megan and Marie, twin sisters who have faced the world together since they were born. Growing up, they could always rely on each other, no matter what challenges life threw their way. And they have faced some serious challenges. From wombmates to teammates to roommates and eventually workmates, this duo is a force to be reckoned with. This is the Canadian Love Map. Okay, so this marks the first time we've had identical twins on the Canadian love map. And that might be a controversial statement because I think you're identical, but you're not so sure? We're not 100%. The DNA has not been tested yet. Apparently there's a test. That's what I was saying. Like our, our parents, it was, it was too, too expensive back in the day. Cheap. I think probably it's like a hundred bucks now, or maybe it's free, but back then it was like a thousand. Back then it was probably a hundred bucks. So Marie's cheap. got short hair now, but we are definitely identical. I think. I say so. Yeah. But that's what I want to start with. How are you similar and how are you different? Off to you, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you, you're like time. Chip and Dale. You go first. No, please, yeah. you go first. Yeah. I don't know. We're so, like, I mean, we've basically done everything together, as you know. Mm -hmm. Same sports teams, living together for way too long. Thankfully, we don't anymore. <laughs> I think that we're both very outgoing, obnoxious, uh, loud. Megan's just Check. like a... But like I'm just like a little bit louder. level or a little bit louder. Like if you're we're like at peaking. Like, yeah, if we're at like six decibels, which is like good. I'm like a 12 usually at all yeah. times. That's I, pretty much it. That's why I love hanging out with you because I have a naturally loud voice. Yeah. And you guys just make me feel normal. I know. Because there's two of us. <laughs> we need to hang out more. Sometimes when I... Yeah, sometimes when we hang out with like... If you hang out with a person that's like super social, I'm like, wow, we are literally double that there's two of us it's like i can i feel bad for people it's like yeah a lot oh it's yeah. a lot in a good way it's good marie how yeah. are you different how are we different yeah i don't know i think we're both like very extroverted very personable very outgoing very dedicated driven etc like marie, we, marie works harder than i do um i think i work a little harder than megan does <laughs> megan, you agree? it's now megan documented just, on a megan podcast just came back from barbados and it's hey. like, but maybe that's my problem i need to learn boundaries and take it's more vacation 
Maybe Megan says she's got a better work-life balance. Totally. That's a good um, point. This is therapy of, now. <laughs> in terms of differences, I would say that we're different in the fact that maybe I'm a bit more like detail-oriented. What's the difference between us? Go ahead. Let's I don't know. Answer. I'm louder. That's about it. That's pretty much it. We're really similar. Marie's much more resilient. Marie's been through some S-H-I-T, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, but you know what? We both have. We both yeah, have. True. Let's rewind way back to the beginning. What was it like growing up together? It's so corny to say, but like people love it. But like roommates to teammates to roommates to now workmates. Um, workmates. Yeah, we did. Everybody get how that started. Wombmates. Wombmates. Mates of the womb. I love that so much. Yeah, it was just like having your best friend around 100 percent of the time. It was awesome. I feel like in a lot of ways, like we raised each other really, and like we cheated the system fully. Totally having each other. Like even on, in this in this conversation that we just had with on this meeting, like she was asking us about co-founders and advice to young entrepreneurs about finding a co-founder and we're like man we're not the right people to talk to like we're twins like yeah. it's a very unique situation yeah. Yeah. you know but i think there are a lot of twins who might not be able to work together yeah totally. it's true i find twins are either like there's no in between it's like totally binary it's like twins are either like obsessed with each other and like codependent in unhealthy ways <laughs> which we are slowly unlearning and then there's twins that like absolutely can't stand each other and like don't talk to each other for like 20 years or something like huh. but there's yeah, a spectrum there's like a everything spectrum. in life right Megan amen was there sibling rivalry honestly I don't think so yeah never no, no. truly never the only sib the only thing that was close was Marie like doing like better notes than me in university and like me stealing them and yeah. Marie was the type of person that would like make the best notes in the business classes and then they would like shuffle around to like everybody like she would give it to a friend who would give it to a friend who would give it to a friend and then there would be like a football player messaging her being like hey uh, do you have any notes? Nothing against football players. <laughs> do you have any notes? Because I'm going to I I have some notes and like we could share it and I heard you had really good notes and Marie would send her notes to him and then he would send back her notes. Oh my god. That gosh. got passed through everybody else like those were like in quote his notes. Oh funny. Yeah. Anyway, Marie's organized. I hope we she charged point. for that. Yeah. yeah I think I that there might be a problem with that. Let's not talk about it. This is where uh, I have to be transparent because I was at one time dubbed your 32nd mother. 32nd. So I've known you for a while now. Yeah. Almost a decade, maybe. Almost a decade. That's yeah. crazy. Think about And I, I think it's safe to say we were kindred spirits as soon as we met. Definitely. But... In order to explain why I had that title, we need to go back to uh, the SHIT you were talking about, yeah. the first probably really hard thing in your lives. Mm -hmm. And why don't you tell me about what happened the with the amazing Paula Jones, who was your mom? I had to say her name because the name Paula Jones has such reverence around it. Yes, I am. But people loved her so much. Totally. We need some tissues. Um, yeah, no. Our, so we were 14 years old, little twinsies, little babies. <laughs> and our mom got diagnosed with liver cancer. And she, um, it's, yeah, I'm I'm honestly so triggered by her. 100%. That's what it is. And then it was a really quick period. It was like five weeks or something. And she passed away super suddenly. And it was hugely traumatic for us as just like teenagers, um, especially because it was such a sudden loss. I really do feel like 
we were put on this planet as twins because I genuinely feel like we raised each other since then. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we had her dad and, you know, great support and family and stuff. But, you know, I don't I don't know if I would be where I am today without her, obviously. And like, you know, going through that and working through that at such a young age, just so grateful that we had each other. Yeah. I want to ask this question because I think it's important and if you need to take a moment, you can. But I, I want you to tell me about Paula. PJW. Right? She was a force. She was like one of those people that like lit up a room. She was very similar to you, which is why we're so triggered by uh, you asking the question. <laughs> you know uh, what I mean? That's really sweet. Um, she was a force. She was a nurse. You know, she she dedicated her life to serving other people and helping other people. Um, she was one of those people that like was just so memorable. And I feel like people felt her presence when when she arrived, right? Like she just like she made people feel like they were almost like bigger than themselves or important, you know, like she was. And I feel like we've really kind of carried on that legacy of her, which is which is so beautiful. And she but was yeah. so friggin' unfiltered. It's not even funny. Yeah, she was. Where like, do you think we get that? She was a lot was of genetic, fun too, but. like super genuine and and empathetic and caring, obviously, but just so much fun. Yeah, like just. And I mean, she lost her brother at a young age too. I think he was like in his late twenties. And it's and interesting. She was, so she kind of like yeah. We always say that she taught us how to grieve because we watched her grieve, even though, you know, as kids, like it would have been like she was thirty one or thirty when she had us, and so. You know, it was years after her brother died, but obviously grief doesn't leave the mm. body for life. And um, yeah, there's many nights watching her grief, like sobbing. The Forrest Gump soundtrack, like that. I had Elton John, so she would let you see her cry. Yes. Oh, that's so amazing, actually. And we yeah. would do things like, like on Halloween, like our uncle David was obsessed with Halloween, and and like the Joneses, man, they were nuts. They'd like take <laughs> pumpkins to the grave on Halloween, and like after, like midnight, like when all the trick or treaters had gone home, and they'd they'd. They'd come back and the next morning the pumpkins would still be lit. Like there's no way you can get away with that stuff now. But when mom died, I remember like it was like the first year we were like, we're going to carry this tradition on because mm. basically that was like a tradition about grief and like basically showcasing the importance of grief. And when she died, we were able to kind of learn from that. Right. So she mm. taught us how to grieve. Wow. And how old are you now? 29. That's a really important thing as well. You just said, you know, it never goes away. Mm -hmm. So for us to sit here and and for you guys to get triggered with your word um, like that, you know, it just shows you, you lift the lid off the well of grief and whew, totally. it's still full. Yeah, and like yeah. childhood trauma, obviously, like when you experience trauma at a young age, it's just, it's different. It impacts you differently for sure. Yeah. Trails yeah. throughout your whole life. And it was only a few years later that you had the trauma of Marie's accident. Yeah. Megan had the trauma of my accident. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't remember. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I was on too much morphine. Okay, you're going to have to tell us about that because it was a big one. <clears throat> Do you want me to talk? No, I'm good. Like, long story short. <laughs> this is the, I'm saying this is the best part of having a twin. It's like you just have, like, yeah. someone, like, just totally supporting. Well, I think it was 2016, so however many years. I'm like, what decade? What year are we in? I broke my neck. It's a long story. I essentially fell down a hill, and there was like a ledge at the end of the hill. And Humpty Dumpty, 
Whatever it is. It's great that you're laughing. I was going to say, it's good that you can laugh about it. <laughs> Humor, eh? Oh, therapy helps for yeah. sure. Like, therapy is the reason why I'm laughing right now. Um, but I essentially broke my neck and I fractured my C1, C2, C6, and C7. When you fracture your C1, it's basically like game over. Like, <laughs> you know, you don't breathe after that. Um, and luckily, I did. Um, and I walked away with no neurological damage. Um, I was obviously like, I fractured my neck. But weren't you a medical mystery at the time? Like totally. doctors were mystified that yeah. you you yeah. were able to walk away. 100%. Yeah. So um, it's called a Jefferson's fracture. So basically my C1, it, you know, if you, if you Google it. It's not good. It's not, pretty yeah. it's, it's like not it, good. It basically blew up, blew out. And it, in four spots, it was disconnected. So I remember my doctor saying to me, like, and anytime I talk to any health professional about it, you know, physios, osteos, whoever that I see, like, they're like, you're a miracle. It's a miracle that you're alive, let alone not quadriplegic. And I remember my doctor saying to me, like, somebody must have been watching out for you. And he had no idea. Oh, my gosh. And well, that's the obvious thought for me. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you had you had angel Backup. wings that day. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So they put me in a I was hospitalized for I think it was like shy of two months. And then I was in a halo and uh, that was horrific. And I was in that for three months. And then, yeah, I was in a neck brace for a month. And then I think it was like the week after I was running again. That's amazing. And you said actually Megan should talk about it because she went through it. But it's true that Megan, after having totally. the trauma of losing your mom, mm -hmm. you had the trauma of having to go through this. And it's, you know, it's one thing for it to be Marie mm -hmm. Uh, in the first person, but for you, to it's have almost to... worse. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Seriously, she was. I I yeah. blacked it out because I was on morphine. Honestly. I know Maria's no basically like no memory. There's a lot the of experience. a lot of it, and probably probably like I'm joking, like morphine, but also traumatic. No, like, yeah, for sure. Just like yeah. no, your brain just like completely erases Does not memories. Compute. The hard drive is lost. I repeat, the hard drive is lost. <laughs> yeah, so, no, that was it was super traumatic for sure. It was hard to like watch her suffer. Oh. I can't even imagine. They say, and this is a cliche, but cliches are usually cliches because they're so true that people say them all the time. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that phrase? 100%. Yeah, totally. It's also interesting. Like there's like this glorification of resilience. There's a part of me that was like when even in the beginning of this conversation when Megan's like, Marie's more resilient. I'm like, I don't want to be labeled resilient. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm totally. tired with being resilient. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I need to take a nap. But it's like, like it's it's true that like you learn and you grow. Like, of course, you're more resilient from that experience. Totally. But I think leaning into like the more... I don't know. When people hear those stories, they're like, wow, it's such a positive thing. And then it, a lot of people aren't mm. talking about how dark those days are and how like how dark it still is. And like that's so important, too. Instead of just like glorifying this like total positive resilience, like transformation out of it, which 100 percent needs to be applaud, applauded. Mm. But I think it's important to also like, you know, hone in on. Yeah. How how difficult those yeah. things can be. And I think everybody has heard this before, but like really going through it rather than around it because mm -hmm. it's like yeah unless you address that dark element of trauma it's like it's gonna catch up with you it's mm -hmm. coming for you it's at some coming. point yeah totally yeah
I've had an interesting relationship myself with that phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Mm -hmm. because at times in grief, I've felt like I'm strong enough. Like, that's enough. Let's coast from here on. And you guys should feel like, okay, you get to have an easy life from now on, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, it's all relative. Like, we're still, like, you know, living in Canada, privileged. Super privileged. Super privileged. And, like, to go through those experiences, obviously, were, like, horrible and traumatic. But there was a really great quote or, like, book. I don't remember Nancy. But it was talking. About, yeah, it must have been Nancy's, Nancy's book. book. <laughs> uh, yeah, I read it. Look it up. <laughs> wow, called out. Okay, everyone, read Nancy's book. Read it's it amazing. tonight. It's funny because you were talking about the darkness and the light, and that is actually a That's, theme. In see, my I life. don't need to read it. Like I have it. We just share brains, you and I. Um, but yeah, I I heard this thing like a couple of years ago. I don't know where I heard it. I should probably find it because I quote it all the time. But it was talking about how, like, obviously. It depends on the context of your life, where you're born. You know, we're very privileged to be in this country as like white women. Um, But it was talking about how in every person's life on average, obviously the context depends and it's all relative. But on in every person's life, you go through five major transformations Mm -hmm. and those happen and last for on average between five or like two to like 10 years or something like that. And then you start to realize that like, oh shit, like my, basically my whole life is a transformation. And so thinking about life in that way, instead of being like victimized, obviously it's like, yeah, it's awful that our mom died when we were 14. Like, Mm. I'm not saying that it's not awful. Like it's just, it's horrible. And it's still, you know, every day it affects us, you know, and Marie's experience breaking her neck. But it's it's kind of like when you become less of a victim to those transformations, that's where the healing happens, I think. Yeah. And and it you realize it is one long growth process yeah. mm-hmm. of learning and yeah. growing. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Constantly. It's just problem solving. Our whole lives are just problem solving. You went into business together. Tell me how that started. Yeah, so let's we, get the spark notes. Seth. Yeah, oh my god, and it's not even that interesting of a story. I mean, maybe it is to some people, but okay, twenty seconds. Um, go. Okay, so Tick, go. we uh, in high school actually took a like film and television class or something, and like absolutely loved being creative. And we were always like the in quote photographers in high school. And this is like, you know, before TikTok and Instagram and like like when Facebook was becoming popular, and we were always the photographers, love shooting photos, and then. After mom passed away, our dad get a chunk from like her life insurance. I'm assuming that was what it was from. And so he was like, if you guys want to travel, 100%, your mom would love that. Mm-hmm. And so we somehow convinced our all of our high school teachers and our principal that we should graduate high school early and then go travel and then come back for graduation. And they said, yes, I have no idea why they said yes. Mm-hmm. We were like good students. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, they obviously knew like about our mom passing and stuff. Anyway, so we went to New Zealand. We were 18. We knew nothing. We didn't, we didn't even know how to like cook pasta. And we backpacked across New Zealand for three months, met a bunch of amazing people. And we brought our little crappy camera. And our dad was like, can you please bring this other camera, like a small little point and shoot, it was his, and take videos like I want to see it. I want you to like film it. And we were like, no, dad, it's such a bad idea. Like take photos, whatever. <laughs> we ended up taking it and then we ended up t- documenting our whole trip. And like to anyone listening, it's like not a big deal because like people do that. Millions and millions of people do that daily now. But like back then, it it wasn't really like a thing yet. Like vlogging wasn't like it was like up and coming. Yeah. 
And then so we started posting all these videos. Long story short, we went to Santa X and then they asked us the marketing department. They were like, oh, these gals like know what they're doing with video shooting and editing, which is hilarious because it was such garbage. Back, like looking back, it's like such bad quality. Well, like um, any artist when you look back. Yeah. But that's yeah. where you started. And Santa X, by the way, is the university. Santa is the university. Yep. And then we got hired with the marketing department. And then we were both in front of the camera interviewing people. Like Nancy Regan. Like Nancy Regan over here. <laughs> um, and then we were, we were also behind the camera too. So we were making like, we were doing like interviews at graduation and like that kind of stuff, but also like making more impactful like in quote campaign videos for like sexual violence against women and like homophobia and like different issues on campus. And then we started our company at university and literally we would drive like to Halifax two hours away to shoot gigs on the weekend sometimes. And then we just kind of blew it up from there. And before we graduated, we thought we'd have to pull up our big girl pants and move to Toronto and work at a marketing agency or whatever. And then we were just like, screw it. Like, we're just going to stay in Halifax and we're going to get really good at what we do. And we decided that we worked at another company that exposed us to more like social enterprises and social impactful businesses. Mm -hmm. And you were doing your thing on the side. On the yeah. side. Yeah. Just like hustling like crazy. It like was meetings like, at lunch. Meetings like, at lunch. Work, like we were working, working at another company. And... Yeah. Working at another company and then like doing shoots at like 5 p.m. till 9 and like doing meetings at lunch and like shooting events on the weekend. We were basically working like 70 hours a week. And then finally we let our little baby wings fly and then we went full time and that was... You know, we started in 2015, but we've been going full time since 2018, probably five years now. And it's been amazing. You went through, I think, the same thing a lot of people do, as I remember it. You were saying, should we leap? Should mm -hmm. we leave our full time job and, and really try to make this work? Will it work? And I'm not trying to take credit, but I do remember you saying, did. you guys just need to, you're going to leap and you're not going to fall. You're going to fly because mm. you're going to be so busy. You won't believe it. And you are. Totally. Yeah. But part of that is because you're so purpose driven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. We we primarily shoot social environmental impact stories for commercials, like for brands internationally across the country. Like we've traveled a bunch of different places and we usually have like documentary on the side because like the starving artist mentality with doc is so real mm -hmm. um but we love documentary because it's like super creative but yeah we're known for more like commercials but yeah i mean i think like as two queer women in a very 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 male dominated industry one more very <laughs> one more sorry one more very um very. i think that uh we bring a different perspective and I that's think why brands continue to come back I think too, just even like on par with the book that you wrote, just like showing up and and we show up consistently as ourselves mm -hmm. in our personal and professional lives. And like people love that, like our clients love that, the subjects that we work with love that. Um, and just like, yeah, just I, I think the reason we have seen success is because, you know, we do show up as ourselves and we bring our story to that element you know as a, as an element um, yeah. yeah it's powerful we couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centers. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit charmdiamondcenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Let's talk about sexual identity. When did you We're here and we're each, queer. Yeah. When did you each figure that out? Yeah. I came out uh first. I, I think I knew like since I was like I remember like grade seven, like just like 
signs and having crushes on like student teachers. <laughs> I mean, we've I mean, all like, been Do there. I want to be here or do I want to be with her? Yeah. I don't know. This is all very confusing. Um, and uh, yeah, no, in university, um, I think it was really normalized uh, at Saint of X University that we went to, and there's a lot, of, a lot more queer people. Um, so I felt comfortable and then I finally kind of, I came out. Um, and then it was like a few years later, I think that you came out. Yeah. I came out a couple of years after Marie and I think it was difficult to come out because it was like, you know, we got to a point where it was like, we were speaking at, um, we were speaking with this, uh, nonprofit called get real to schools, universities and high schools and elementary schools about, um, homophobia and transphobia and acceptance and love, et cetera. Um, and Marie, it was like, Marie's the gay twin and Megan's the straight twin and they're different, but they're similar and you should accept everybody. And that was kind of the message. So it was like, I was secretly dating someone at that point. I was a woman. <laughs> so it was just like very difficult for me, you know? Um, but yeah, ultimately, yeah. I mean, now we're both happily out and like with amazing partners and Women are the best. But yeah. 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 yeah, we feel like queerness is a superpower, truly. It is. And yeah. it, and I will say, like, you talk about leaning into the darkness. Like, internalized homophobia is for real. Oh, my right? God, yeah. And, like, society does not, maybe today in today's world, but, like, we didn't see it anywhere. And, like, yeah. there was nobody. I don't remember. Like, I remember the gay piano player at church growing up. <laughs> That's hilarious. God that love remember him. that. Yeah. You know, he was a role model. It. Yeah. Like, so when you say internalized homophobia, do you mean that you felt a sense of not enoughness because you were different? Yeah, not accepting. Quote unquote. I think there's a lot of shame, and then that actually projects into no, I'm. This is that's not me. That's yeah. not normal. That's not whatever. So yeah, it's homo internalized yeah. homophobia. It's but thankfully, it's thing. it's so different now. Yeah, thankfully. Totally. But a lot of people are probably still walking around with that people who oh, for whom life is not that different. Yeah. You know, yeah. we just surround ourselves with so many queer people. Yeah, we, we have an know. incredible, incredible community. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Can we talk about that word queer? Queer. So queer. We're here. We're what's queer. queer? I, know. I I love that you say it in the way you say it, and I've heard you many times use that description, but I have realized that I don't use it. Like, I don't mm -hmm. feel I have license to use it. And part of the reason I'm uncomfortable with it, and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone, is that when I was a kid, queer meant odd yeah. or not normal. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it was tossed yeah. around liberally to sort of, to sort of bully people. Yeah. And... I I think in this world, we have such a focus on being normal mm -hmm. and what's normal and what's not. It's mm -hmm. this sense of duality, right? Mm -hmm. Right and wrong, gay and straight, da-da-da-da. And that's changing. Yep. But for me, I'm always thinking, well, I don't want to say queer because it has that attachment. Mm -hmm. And yet I love the way you say it. Can mm -hmm. you Tell me. So, Nancy, you yeah. can say queer. You can say queer as much as you want. Our generation has truly reclaimed that word. And queerness is such an umbrella, like, in terms of identity and, like, who you're attracted to. I mean, like, there's a spectrum. I'm like, 
if you think about like levels of like 10 different things, we got sexual identity, what sex you're born with, gender expression, who you're attracted to, the list goes on and on and on. All of us, if you think about like, like a little volume toggle or something, we're all at different levels in all those different ways. You can't, in my opinion, the whole world is queer, truly. Like, yes, on a spectrum. Exactly. Everyone is on a spectrum. And like, People just want to make sense of things. So they put boxes on absolutely everything. It's leading with fear. I mean, we've talked about it so many times, but like people are just afraid of what they don't know. In general, like language is really important. Yeah. And like think about the amount of different words that are stigmatized that should not be stigmatized. Like the word crazy or psycho Mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, it's like you're calling, you're basically othering somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And and but I, like Megan said, like I think queer is like people are really claiming that, proud mm-hmm. of that. Like yeah. I am extremely proud to be queer. Like mm-hmm. that's the word is like there's so much pride in that word. Yeah. And are you also proud to be role models? Because you know you talked about that organist or piano player at your church being the only person that you knew of who was gay. Mm -hmm. And so your business is Mm purpose-driven, but just by leading your authentic lives and, and, you know, following your heart, you guys are are role models and and you're living a purpose-driven life. Totally. I wish... I wish I could have listened to this podcast as like a totally completely and we, removed kid years yeah. ago. And we right? speak to so many like schools and like not with Get Real anymore, but we speak to like so many different universities and elementary schools and junior highs and stuff about about all of this, this whole, all of it. Yeah. Nancy's yeah. crying. Nancy, yeah, now just, Nancy's crying. You just made me cry with that, you know, because your reference to this conversation. And it is. It's about breaking it open and totally. being real totally. and and uh, vulnerable and yeah. honest. Yeah. And, and that helps people so much. Yeah. Totally. I will say, too, just as like a little plug-in, like not a plug-in, but just something that's important. There's a, There's a lot of straight people that will come up to me and ask me questions about well, can you explain this to me? And I don't really like you know me. Like I'm, I'm, I have a gay daughter. Like you know, or I have a gay friend, or whatever. What? It's just like there is so many resources out there to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not you're your job, or right? Queer. It's not queer people's job to do so. That's the same for everything, right? Yeah, every. You know, if people are willing to, that's amazing and great. But it's like there's enough information out there online that like. It's like, do your homework. We all need to do our homework. We all have so much unlearning, relearning to do. Take responsibility for that. You yeah. Know? It's interesting, like internal biases. I, I still try to get curious. Like I think encouraging people to get curious about your own dialogue in your brain. When yeah. you see people, whatever, like whoever they are, like what what conversation are you having in your brain about people in front of you? What biases? Just yeah. be curious about it. Because that's how you unlearn. Yeah. And it's not just it's not just straight people, it's people within the queer community. Just because totally. you're a lesbian or a gay man or whatever doesn't mean that you aren't, or aren't transphobic. transphobic. You know what I mean? Like there's right. we can all, still be we judgmental. All have learning. Totally. Just because you're queer doesn't mean you're not racist. There's so much unlearning to do. Yeah. Mm. And I think just being open to it. Like our dad is such a freaking little sweet baby angel Doug, Dougie Luggy. I love him so much he's the best but he's like you know he's a he's an older white cis man and he recognizes his privilege and he's he says the wrong thing all the time I mean I say the wrong thing all the time too but it's just like 
being willing and open to learning, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody comes back and is like, listen, like, why did you say that? Or listen, like, I don't think that's appropriate to say because X, Y, and Z. And he's like, he leans into it. And that's all what we need to do more is just lean into it. Just be willing, you know? Not be defensive. Well, that goes back to, you know, the sense that everyone in our world wants to be right. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to be wrong. And it's hard to lean in Mm -hmm. when you're, I think of it like skiing, Mm -hmm. like, when I ski, I should lean forward. I know that, but sometimes I'm fearful and I lean back and that's going to make me fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in life, you know, if we lean back, we're really mm-hmm. not doing ourselves a favor. Totally. That's why I lay on the ski hill anytime I go skiing. <laughs> so I'm raised at, at the chalet or whatever, <laughs> drinking a beer, drinking a beer instead. Yeah. You guys lean into life like few people I know. Tell me what you love about each other. Oh, this is sweet. <laughs> you start, I'll cry again. What do you love? I about could me? just sob, sob and sob and sob. Nice release. On the love podcast. About <laughs> how much I love my twin. She's literally my best friend. She's literally my number one. We're very lucky to have each other. Holy crap. I yeah, I, I literally don't know where, where I'd be without you. She's oh. literally like literally betters me every single day. Yeah, I'd say queerness is a superpower. Being a twin is a superpower. I mean, our relationship, like, of course, like, there's so many ups and downs and, you know, being, like, dependent on each other, co- the codependency thing, like, we're unlearning that. From, yeah, we're working you know, through that. We're working through that. <laughs> Shout out to our therapist, who's, who na- whose name is also Marie. Yeah. <laughs> Cracks us up. You know, there's so there's so many good things that have come out of being a twin in this this relationship is, is extremely unique. And I, I truly do feel like, there, you know, it was meant to be like us being twins and just like doing life together so much so more fun, fun. it's oh just the best it's the best it's like constantly no like you know like you have a partner or you have a sister it's like you know that they're gonna be there for you but like this is like to a different level yeah and like even just like being in business together and like you know when we're nervous for certain things we like spoke at this panel for the government the other day and they wanted me just on it. And I was like, well, my business partner, like, can she just, and then it's just like, it's just like this like safety blanket. You just yeah. know you're backed up no matter what. It's like yeah. truly, truly, truly so unique. Our partners make fun of us because like we talk to each other the same way Nanny talks to me on the phone. She's yeah. just like, you know, you could hang up and she wouldn't know. It's yeah. like, we just tell each other. And I'm like, anyways, just passing, uh, passing them all here. And, uh, you know, just like talking about who did you see today? Who she see at the grocery store? I saw so-and-so at the grocery store. They were doing great. It's like, there's no, there's no end to that. Yeah. There's no purpose to that point. We but just people tell also each other get, everything. People <laughs> also get mad at us, especially our partners and people that we work with because it's like, we have this weird twin brain that like twin we talk. just assume that like you know for example what I'm talking about. I'll be like, "Where's that thing?" And then Carolina will be like, "What's the thing?" And like, I'm like, "Ah, the thing." <laughs> Marie's like, "I know exactly what you're talking about." It's also so trippy. Like, well, sometimes we'll like sing the same chorus to a song in the same moment that like maybe played on the radio or something or like that. whatever the day before or like. We will walk by something and I'll be triggered. Like, you know, you get triggered memories of like childhood or like whatever. And then I'll I'll say it out loud. And Marie's like, I was just thinking. Truth bumps. <laughs> you know, when I see you like in the womb talking to each other, <laughs> totally. I'm sure you were talking to each other. Probably then. like the little fists in there too, baby. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah fisticuffs. Um, so the one thing we haven't explained is why I have been dubbed your 32nd mother. Right. Yeah, we're looking for moms. Anyone it's, out there? It's funny because it's like 
Um, anytime Mother's Day rolls around, people are like, oh, it must be so hard for you, whatever. Of course it's hard, but there's also like a level of exhaustion because we have so many mothers. Like so many women have stepped up since mom died, yeah. you yeah. know, like aunts or mom's friends or just like people we've met like yourself. Um, and it's actually exhausting. It's like a matter of like texting and calling like 30 women, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just there's like, like this maternal, like, there's like this maternal exactly. craving. And it's like, as soon as we like meet women that are like in their fifties or sixties, it's like they, we, we tell them that like, if we get into it, we tell them like about our mom passing or it'll get brought up or something. And then they like equally are so maternal. And then we just like have this bond. And yeah, you're the yeah. 32nd. Why is it 32nd? Cause it's because it's 32. 32. I think I was number 32. You were number 32. <laughs> Which says but a lot. But there was some joke about it, wasn't so, Well, it was the play on words. The, the 30 seconds. 32nd mother and yeah. the 32nd. Right. Uh, but I am proud to have that title. And love you. I love you guys. I might as well say that at the end of the love map. Yeah. And we've each got a glass. So your, your, mom's, <laughs> your mom's nickname was Jonesy. Jonesy. Jonesy, baby. Here's to Jonesy, Here's baby. to Jonesy. So sweet. Cheers. Thanks, Nance. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.